Today, we are talking about one of the most vile criminals that we have ever covered on this show. So I want to give a trigger warning because this case is arguably one of the most disturbing, and it involves, unfortunately, the abuse of animals, which makes it exponentially heinous. Today, we are talking about the monster, Luca Magnata. Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. And we are back for another disturbing episode of True Crime. And this one has a Netflix documentary based on it. Yes. So how much have you seen of that documentary, Don't Fuck With Cats? How many episodes is it? I think it's only three. I've seen like two and a half. Okay, I literally so, watched it to almost the end and then didn't see the rest. But it's been a long time, right? There's probably a yeah. lot about it that you don't remember. Yeah, but it's super weird. It and is. Like the people or the detectives, that's what I remember the most. Yes. Um, the, the fact that so many people online assisted law enforcement in hunting him down, I think is what makes this even more intriguing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I think a lot of times we get flack for being like an armchair detective or, you know, that we know we don't know what we're doing. And to some extent, we don't. But in this case, it really showed just how much it helped this to have people crazy. online digging in and scouring every photo that was posted, every video. I mean, they they did a really great job. I remember, like, I don't remember details. I just remember there's one where it's like they were listening to the language they were speaking on the TV and then they saw like a pattern on the quilt or some shit. But ultimately it was like they figured out where they were from like this video of a bedroom. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. Yeah, it was it was pretty incredible. Um, so let's see. I haven't seen that documentary in a couple of years since when it originally came out. But last week we were talking about the crimes of Russell Williams, and he is actually imprisoned in the same prison that Luca Magnata is in. And so that's what prompted me to cover this story. Um, but to understand the criminal activities of Luca Rocco Magnata, it is crucial to trace back to the defining moments of his early life. And this period is marked by a tumultuous family environment, a search for identity, and frequent clashes with the law. And it could arguably have laid the foundation for a darker path that he would eventually tread. And you know, there's when we talk about criminals, we do often talk about their upbringing and their whole backstory. And that's not to say that the victim's upbringing and backstory isn't just as important, if not more important, but sometimes to trace back to their upbringing helps us kind of try to understand what would cause somebody to do something like this. So I just don't ever want anyone to assume that I think a criminal's story is more important than the victims. I've never thought that. I never will think that, but I do think that it's important to, to look at his past because I do believe in nature versus nurture, um, that sometimes bad people are bred that way or raised that way, um, and kind of molded. Maybe they were born a bad seed and then that bad seed was just dumped with fertilizer that was bad parenting choices and a tumultuous, you know, upbringing environment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in this situation, the victims are animals. So, well, and, and a human being, Oh, I guess I don't remember that. Yeah. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know um, that you would learn from watching in that documentary, but also more that wasn't covered in the documentary. So born on July 24th of 1982 as Eric Clinton Kirk Newman, 
Luca grew up in Scarborough, Ontario. His father, Donald Newman, worked in a factory, while his mother, Anna Yorkin, was a part-time retail worker. He was the second of three children, having an older brother and a younger sister. And his mother, Anna, was eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia and struggled to provide a normal life for her kids. She was obsessed with cleanliness to such an extreme that she would often wear surgical masks and latex gloves around the house. And she repeatedly washed the kids' hands. And if she felt like things were getting too messy around the house, she would lock her kids outside while she cleaned. So she was a neat freak. Yeah. I mean, I I honestly kind of relate to that very last one. There are times when I'm like, "Mm, can you guys just go be outside? I would never lock them out, but... I would. (laughs) Well, on one particularly disturbing day, though, Anna took the kids' pet rabbits and set them outside because she felt like they were too messy and it was freezing cold and they ended up freezing to death, these Mm, rabbits. Not a great example. No. His parents had a tumultuous relationship. They were constantly separating and getting back together and they finally divorced when Luca was in his early teens and he and his siblings were sent to his grandmother's house to live. And those who knew that family described their home as cluttered and chaotic, filled with pets and just a general lack of structure, which was a stark contrast from the way that he was raised when he was living with his mom and dad. His grandmother was not the best influence on him either, though. She would dress him in her clothing, sleep with him at night. And once she told him, quote, you hold a glass like a faggot and what? Because he liked playing with Barbies and he felt kind of like he was a girl trapped, trapped in a boy's body. So he really struggled with his identity and later his sexuality, too. Um, But even his brother would call him the F word. That's crazy. Luca's school life was reportedly challenging. Also, his early education did not start until sixth grade when his parents finally put him in a school, a public school. Um, And this happened to be a school for children with special needs. And he faced frequent bullying while he was there. His mom intended to homeschool him and his two siblings because she was so fearful of the kids going to a public school and then using the bathrooms and bringing those germs home. But he finally joined public school in sixth grade, and he was reported to have been absent from school very often due to sickness. And classmates described him as being somewhat awkward and solitary with few friends. This chick never would have survived during COVID. Oh, my gosh. No. Yeah. As Luca came into his teens, he started developing an obsession with his physical appearance and a desire to be famous. And this vanity manifested into an addiction to plastic surgery and his attempts to transform himself to resemble James Dean, who was a well-known Hollywood icon. He had several cosmetic procedures, including a nose job and hair implants. And I think he was even planning on getting like muscle implants to make it look like he was jacked. When Luca was 17, his mental health really took a turn. He reportedly started hearing voices, he became paranoid, he couldn't sleep, and found himself on this relentless search for love. He started seeing a psychiatrist in 1999 and told his doctor that he had been sexually assaulted by a male cousin when he was 14 years old, and that he had fears of abandonment, being cheated on, and constantly felt empty inside, saying he wanted just one person to love him. It was at this time that he was diagnosed officially with paranoid schizophrenia. 
He dropped out of high school, went on disability, and was admitted to a psychiatric group home where he was constantly paranoid and worried that the government was bugging his phone and following him around. Schizophrenia is such a weird thing to think about. Like to think that you've sold yourself on all this stuff that's happening that's not. Mm-hmm. It's super creepy to think about. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. To hear these very real um, voices and, and voices in your head. Yeah, and like that's your reality. Mm-hmm. That's got to be scary. In 2006, Luca changed his name legally from Eric Clinton Kirk Newman to Luca Rocco Magnata at age 24, and this was in an an effort to reinvent his image. But he also had multiple other aliases. Although Luca Rocco Magnata was his primary one, he also went by Vladimir Romanov, Mattia Del Santo, Jimmy, Justin, Angel, and Kirk Trammell. Before his infamous crimes, Luca had several encounters with the law. In 2005, he was convicted of three counts of fraud after he met a girl online and then coerced her into opening credit cards um, that he took advantage of and then racked up over $10,000 in debt. He completely took advantage of this girl who had the mental capacity of an 8 to 12-year-old. So she had some deficiencies, and he completely took advantage of her. There were also allegations that he sexually assaulted her and videotaped it, but those charges were dropped before he was ultimately convicted of the fraud charges. So he served nine months of community service and was placed on 12 months of probation. In 2007, he declared bankruptcy for over $17,000 in various debts. And throughout this period, Luca seemed desperate for attention and fame. He worked as a stripper and a male escort and later attempted to launch a career as a model and an actor. And in a bid to gain popularity, he created numerous profiles of himself on the internet, posting photos and sharing details about his life. And he would create these these group pages, like fans of Luca Magnata, but he was the one creating the pages. And then he was the one creating all the profiles that went and joined the pages. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Then he auditioned for reality television shows like Plastic Makes Perfect and Cover Guy. And you can find a lot of his audition tapes on YouTube. And they're kind of bizarre to watch. In one of them, he calls him, he says, a lot of people tell me that I'm devastatingly good looking. Oh. <laughs> like if people tell you that, you don't, you don't usually say that. <laughs> I don't know. It's just awkward. Nobody told him that, Kelly. Nobody told him that. And the thing is, is like he was actually a good looking guy subjectively. He's, you know, or objectively, I guess I should say. He's not an ugly guy, but everything he did makes him hideous. Mm-hmm. He moved around a lot, living in various places like LA, New York, and Florida before returning to Canada. And these moves combined with his numerous online profiles make it really difficult to piece together a consistent timeline of his life during this time. But in 2007, rumors emerged claiming that Luca was in a relationship with Carla Homolka. Maybe we'll cover her story in the next episode. But Carla Homolka was part of another notorious murder in Canada when she and her husband, Paul Bernardo, raped and murdered at least three minors in Ontario, including Carla's own sister, Tammy. By 2007, she'd been released from prison and remarried to a man named Thierry Bordelais. 
And that's all a long story for another episode. Maybe I'll cover that one next. But rumors emerged that Luca and Carla were having an affair. And with Carla being dubbed as the most hated woman in, in Canada, Luca tried to squash these rumors. But then it later became evident that he was the one who created these rumors in an attempt to get attention under this idea that any press, good or bad, is good press. This dude was like the definition of fake it till you make it. Yes. So I actually have a clip of him talking about this, and I'm going to play it for you now. My modeling career is uh, kind of uh, going downhill, basically, um, these days, to be honest with you. And... Um, and it's all because of this whole rumor of you dating Carl Hamaka. That's this is the thing that's the rumors destroyed my life basically, and um, I've been receiving death threats. My address is posted. That's why I had to move. Uh, I want my Pomeranian back. It was taken out of my SUV. I, I'm about to have a nervous breakdown here. My reputation is completely ruined. Um, I just uh, want everybody to set, I want to set the record straight that um, me and her have absolutely no connection. I go in to see casting directors, I go in to see agents, you know, they know who I am, you know, it's all over everywhere. I started being a stripper and, um, and then basically uh, I went from there to doing adult films. And I'm not ashamed of doing the adult films. I have a problem though with people saying those to relatives. And now nobody wants to talk to me. I don't have anybody basically. Whoever's doing this, uh, you know, please stop. You know, you're doing a lot of harm. So dude's making up this stuff and then he's talking about it. So it's like he's hiding his iPhone and he's being like, can you come help me look for my iPhone? But he knows where it is. Yeah. Freaking weirdo. <laughs> I just want my Pomeranian back. Someone stole it out of my SUV. What they're does that ruining, have to do with Carla Hamolka? They're ruining my reputation and he's the one doing it. It's literally it's, him. It's freaking weird. It's so, so bizarre. And you can tell he just loves being in front of a camera. He loves it. He lives for it. Even though he sounds like he's going to fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. He always sounds like that, though. It's very stoic, emotionless, just very dry. That's how he always looks. And with that same belief of any press is good press, Luca started to realize that he could get the most attention by being involved in bad behavior. Because when these rumors were going around, that's when he really started to get attention from it. People are asking him about it. Now, here's the trigger warning, okay? So in 2010, videos began to surface online showing kittens being killed in horrific ways. One video titled One Boy, Two Kittens featured a man suffocating two kittens using a vacuum and a plastic bag. It's so fucked up. You are a messed up individual if you're killing animals mm -hmm. for entertainment. Another showed a python being encouraged to eat a kitten. And in a third video, he duct taped a kitten to a broom handle and drowned it in a bathtub. I just have to like get past it. I can't even talk about it. Um, it's disgusting. I, I, I don't remember if the documentary actually showed the videos. I don't think it did. Um, but I do remember seeing at least portions of them and I just, it's gut wrenching. Um, 
Anyway, the disturbing videos incited a huge guttural reaction from the public, obviously, as well as a committed group of online investigators. And the individual in these videos went to great lengths to hide his identity, but a former U.S. soldier named Ryan Boyle formed a Facebook group called Find the Vacuum Kitten Killer for Great Justice. And initially, about 4,000 people joined the group. Rescue Inc., which is an animal protection group that also does like tattoos, so Inc. is actually I-N-K, um, they also posted a $5,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest of the vacuum kitten killer. And this group went to great lengths to find information on the creator of these videos. They meticulously studied each frame of the video looking for any kind of identifiable information about the creator or his whereabouts. And throughout their research and tips, they were able to start narrowing their sights on Luca Magnata, believing he was behind the videos. And part of the reason they were able to find out it was him was because he was going on these pages and commenting. I remember this. This is so um, reminiscent of Brian Koberger going on the the Idaho murder discussion page on Facebook under the guise of Papa Rogers and leaving these little comments because he's like, he's enjoying this. This is a game to mm-hmm. him. It's like, catch me if you can. Mm-hmm. And so I want to movie. It is a, it is a good movie, but, um, to, to what you said earlier about the way that they were picking apart the videos. So they would look at the outlets on the wall to determine if they were like international type of outlets to kind of try to narrow down the country he might've been in. They were listening to the the video that was playing on the TV that was in the background of the video, but they were able to find that that was actually a ruse because he had put in like some tape of some other show in a different language to try and thwart whoever was going to be listening to it mm-hmm. to make it seem like he was somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, there was the blanket that they were able to narrow down to this this one exact blanket um, that was on his bed and they were able to find the seller of it on like Amazon or Etsy or one of those shops. And they were able to find that they had only sold one of those blankets and found out exactly where it was delivered. That to. is insane. This is what people online were doing. We're yes. not talking about the official investigators. This was people online. I'm a co-host on this podcast and I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, it was incredible and then towards like you know throughout the documentary they showcased this a lot but then they would they would find once they started realizing it was probably Luca Magnata and they were trying to figure out where he was they would go to his pictures and observe the background of his pictures and there was one where he was in this like downtown city area and they were able to look at the stoplights and the color on the back of the stoplights was unique to an, a certain area, I believe, in Canada. And I could be getting this wrong because this is off the top of my head, um, just from what I remember. But they were able to look at the street lights behind him and the stairs behind him. And they were literally going on Google Maps and going up and down all these streets until they finally found the exact spot where these pictures were taken. So insane. And there was a couple people in this documentary that were like the face of the documentary Mm -hmm. and they were super active in the groups and like they had turned their whole life into finding this guy. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, there was this one chick I remember, this female, and she was like, 
I would get home and all day, all night until I went to bed, I would just be researching for this. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Yeah, they poured their whole lives into it. Um, speaking of her, her her screen name was Body Movin'. I can't think of her real name off the top of my head, but she was at CrimeCon uh, last year, I believe. Really? I don't know if she's going to be there this year, but we are going to be there in Orlando. So if you're in the area, come check us out September 22nd to 24th. There's yeah. my shameless plug. You can get a pass for 10% off if you use the code Mama Mystery. Anyway, yeah. so... At this time, Luca was living in Toronto and working as an escort on, um, well, he was also doing low-budget gay porn, (laughs) and he vehemently denied his involvement in the videos, even suggesting that someone was setting him up to make it look like he was the one in these videos. I mean, in some of the videos, you can see his side profile, and it's it's clearly him. He's trying to hide it with his bangs, and he's got his hood up, but like you can tell it's him. The Sun, um, the the newspaper, The Sun, brought attention to his videos with a headline that read, quote, catch the sicko who fed a kitten to a python, end quote. And afterwards, The Sun reporter Alex West received a tip that the person of interest in the videos was at the Fusilier, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, Fusilier Inn in Wembley, Northwest London. So Alex went there hoping to run into him, and he did. He struck up a conversation with Luca and brought up the allegations that he was behind these kitten videos. And Luca's reaction was that he was just shocked. People were falsely accusing him and photoshopping his head onto other people's bodies. Alex literally laughed at this response and told him he was nuts. But this interaction only encouraged Luca to take it another step further He was getting the attention he wanted. He's being hounded by press like they're paparazzi. He's winning in his mind. He's winning at this game. So he sent an anonymous email to Alex that read, quote, next time you hear from me, it will be in a movie I am producing that will have some humans in it, not just pussies, end quote. Alex took this to the police, but they said it would be impossible to act on this email. And then on May 24th of 2012, Luca met a man named June Lin on a dating site for gay men and fulfilled the promise that he made in that email. Working from home this summer has been such a blessing. Getting to stay home with the kids while I work has had its challenges, but it's also been such a relief to keep them home and make memories here on a daily basis. School is about to start back up, and while I am looking forward to having structure and routine back in our lives, I will definitely miss them when they go back. And it just got me thinking, you know, I wish there was a way that I could keep them at home while keeping them in school. And that's why I'm so grateful I discovered K12.com. As a parent, you want to set your kids up for success, and that starts with empowering them to learn in ways that are best for them. K-12-powered schools can help your child start reaching their full potential in life now and give you the support you need to get them there. K-12-powered schools are tuition-free, online-accredited public schools for kindergarten through 12th grade, and they're designed to help your kid to learn at their own pace in their own home with an engaging curriculum that supports individual learning styles. This is different from homeschooling where you are responsible for teaching them. K-12 powered schools teachers are state certified and are trained online educators. 
They utilize hands-on innovative technology to make learning interactive, and they even offer social opportunities, extracurricular activities, and in-person events. With over 20 years of experience helping students gain the skills they truly need to thrive in the future, it could be perfect for your child too. Join the more than 2 million families who have been served by K-12 and empower your student to reach their full potential now. Go to k12.com slash mama mystery today to learn more and find a tuition-free K-12 powered school near you. That is the letter K, the number 12.com slash mama mystery. Jun Lin was a Chinese international student living in Montreal, and at the time, he was a 33-year-old computer engineering student at Concordia University. His friends described him as positive and genuine. He was reliable and loyal, reserved and shy. He was gay, which is what brought him to Canada because they were more open and accepting of gay people. While Jun's family was not aware of his sexuality, they were pressuring him to find a woman, get married, start a family. He had a cat that he cherished and frequently posted about, in addition to posting on social media about how he was often lonely. Jun Lin was last seen on May 24th of 2012. He had told his friends that he was going to meet a man that he had met online on a dating site, and that man was Luca Magnata. CCTV footage from Luca's apartment building showed Jun Lin um, entering with Luca on May 24th, and then Luca leaving alone over the course of the next day while wearing the same shirt that Jun was wearing the day prior. The next day, on May 25th, an 11-minute video titled One Lunatic, One Ice Pick appeared on a website called bestgore.com. And I'm only comfortable seeing that website because it's no longer up. So it's not like I'm encouraging you to go look at it because it's not there. But it depicted a naked man tied to a bed frame being attacked by another man with both an ice pick and a kitchen knife. And the ice pick was actually a screwdriver that was bent to look like an ice pick. But regardless, the video also showed acts of necrophilia and included scenes where dismembered body parts were manipulated and then the perpetrator um, committed acts of cannibalism on the video as well. What? So the perpetrator then took his crimes to a whole new morbid dimension when he started mailing his victims' dismembered body parts to various addresses. His torso was sent to an apartment complex in Montreal. One of his feet was sent to the Conservative Party headquarters in Ottawa, while one of his hands was sent to the Liberal Party headquarters before it was intercepted by the Canada Post. He also sent a foot to an elementary school. And the return address listed on the packages was for Logan Valentini, who is the sister of Carla Hamolka. The fact that these acts were carried out in such a public attention-seeking way seemed to confirm not only that it was Luca, but that it was Luca craving infamy. He was writing these notes to the, like, these public officials, threatening them with each package. Um, it was these poorly written poems. I can't remember what they were. Let me just look it up really quick. 
Okay, just found him. One of them says, roses are red, violets are blue. The police will need dental records to identify you, bitch. Um, if you don't like the reflection, don't look in the mirror. You need to speak to Lauren Teske and her family. Lots to hide. I mean, it's just random scribbles. I don't know. Um, but this gruesome murder sparked a na nationwide manhunt and further catapulted Luca Magnata into the public eye turning him from virtually this unknown figure into, into one of Canada's most infamous criminals. So everybody knew it was him. At this point, the people online, especially who were, you know, not everyone at the time knew about the kitten videos, but now he is, he has just been catapulted into the spotlight. Um, and the people who knew about the kitten videos are like, this is the same guy. Like you guys are freaking out over this. He's also been doing this and this and this. And so it kind of just spread like wildfire at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and at this point, you know, he had achieved the notoriety that he sought. He just, he got it in the most horrific way imaginable. So Jun Lin was identified through his physical description and the clothes that he was wearing when he was last seen. His friends were the first to realize that he was missing and reported his disappearance to the police. And then when the news of the dismembered body surfaced, they recognized the description of the victim. So Jun Lin's family residing in China was notified of his death, which led to international attention on the case. So Lucas Crimes prompted one of the most high-profile manhunts in Canadian history, involving law enforcement agencies all across the world. The search was intricate, spanning multiple countries, and leaned heavily on technology and the vigilance of the public. That original Facebook group that was enraged by the kitten-killing videos now had even more reason to find Luca. They knew he had to be behind this, and they just, if anything, it just, you know, revitalized their desire to find him. It, they amped up their armchair detective skills to all new heights. And together with law enforcement, they were, they were able to track Luca down almost immediately. When the body parts started arriving at different locations in Canada, investigators immediately initiated a search for Luca, and forensic investigators in Montreal identified the victim as June Lin and were able to link the crime scene to Luca Magnata's apartment in the city because they knew June Lin was going to go meet up with this guy. Like they were able, able to piece that together pretty quickly. I remember in the video, in the Netflix, they have all the apartment footage and stuff of him coming in. Mm -hmm. I remember watching that. Yes. Taking multiple bags to the trash. He was mm -hmm. wearing June's t-shirt the entire time, yeah. which is just even more disturbing that he killed him and then put his clothes on. And then there's even footage of him at the post office sending the packages. That is like one of the strangest things you've ever covered in over a hundred episodes somebody mailing out body parts. That's mm -hmm. can you imagine opening a box and somebody's torso is in it? No, and I have to imagine that that they'd have to question if it was real at first. You know, like you It'd open be such it a up shock and shock factor. And the smell, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that would make that horribly traumatic a foot? to discover. Like a yeah. foot shows up, it's mm -hmm. freaking bonkers. Yeah. So when investigators went to Luca's apartment, um, they, you know, searched his apartment and found bloodstains on various pieces of furniture, including the mattress, the refrigerator, and the table. They also found a kill kit, which was a collection of tools used in the murder and dismemberment, suggesting that this was premeditated. Obviously. Yeah. 
The key lead, however, was the infamous video, One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. Investigators found significant similarities between the acts depicted in the video and the crime scene in Luca's apartment. And with that, Luca Bignata was named as the prime suspect in the case on May 30th, just five days after the crime. Now, upon discovering Luca's empty apartment and learning of the video, law enforcement quickly realized that he had fled the country. It was found that he had left for Paris, France on May 26th. An international arrest warrant was issued, and Interpol sent out a red notice to find and arrest Luca Magnata as soon as possible. In Paris, French police found evidence that Luca had been staying in a hotel in the city's northeastern suburbs. He had reportedly been spotted in bars and had been recognized by locals, but they also put out in their alert that nobody was to approach him because he was such a dangerous person. They were just supposed to alert authorities. So, you know, people are spotting him, um, but by the time French police reached the hotel, Luca had already left for Berlin, Germany. So it was quite literally a game of cat and mouse. Like every time they kind of catch up with him, he's already moved on to the next one step ahead. However, Luca's weakness for attention would eventually lead to his downfall. His activities in Paris and Berlin did not go unnoticed. He had used his real name to book a hotel in Paris, and hotel staff identified him from the photos circulating in the media. And on June 4th of 2012, Luca Magnata was arrested at an internet, internet cafe in Berlin. What do you think he was looking at? on the computer at this internet cafe in Berlin. Gay porn. No, <laughs> close. He was Googling himself. He uh, wanted to see. He wanted well, he did gay porn, so he's probably watching videos of himself. Yeah, no, you're on the right track. Yeah, um, yeah he, <laughs> he had been recognized by the cafe's employee. And when law enforcement approached him, he was browsing news stories about himself and just trying to like catch up on all the infamy that he had created. That's wild. When confronted, he initially gave a false name, but then finally admitted, you got me. So following his arrest... How many years was that? How long did it take? Months? Years? No, it took like five days. This was June 4th. The crime happened on May 24th. He fled the country. He was named a a suspect five days later on May 30th, and then he was arrested on June 4th. Because you said at the beginning of this whole chase that... They found him almost immediately. But when I hear country to country, I was thinking this was like a long time. You would certainly think that. And I can see why you would. But That's no, crazy. this was actually relatively quick, despite how how large the world is and how how he was all over it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so following his arrest, Luca was extradited to Canada under high security. I think he actually flew back on like a military plane because they didn't want to you know, put him at risk or anyone else at risk by putting him on like a commercial flight. Mm -hmm. I actually think that's probably common to like kind of segregate them a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, especially a high profile criminal. But his trial began in Montreal on September 29th of 2014. So now this is more than two years later. Despite the overwhelming evidence against him, he pleaded not guilty to all charges due to reasons of mental illness. Of course. The trial lasted for 10 weeks, during which the prosecution laid out a convincing case that Luca had planned his crimes in advance. And on December 23rd of 2014, he was found guilty of all charges, including first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment with no possibility of parole for 25 years. So 
he could be eligible for parole at that point, but that doesn't mean he will get it. Still ridiculous. Schwack him. I mean, honestly, I agree. The manhunt for Luca Rocco McNada serves as an example of successful international cooperation between law enforcement agencies and people online. It demonstrated the critical role that technology and the vigilance of the public can play in helping to apprehend a criminal on the run. And at the same time, it highlighted the disturbing manner in which Luca utilized the internet to broadcast these horrific crimes. Luca is incarcerated at Port, Card Port Cartier Institution, a maximum security prison in Quebec. And in 2015, while serving his sentence at Port Cartier Prison, um, Luca was allowed to join a prison dating platform called Canadian Inmates Connect. And this decision sparked significant public outrage, given that Luca had previously preyed on his victim, June Lin, using an LGBT plus dating platform. However, shortly after creating that profile, Luca chose to delete it from the site, expressing gratitude to the site's owner by saying, quote, thank you for your service. I found what I was looking for, end quote. By 2017, Luca tied the knot with another inmate named Anthony Jolin. He was also serving time for murder. Luca's mother, Anna Yorkin, who is featured in the Netflix documentary, Don't Fuck With Cats, stood as the witness for their wedding. The prison's regulations, however, did not permit the, the newlyweds to have any kind of privacy after the ceremony. So I don't think they've consummated the thing, but ugh. in the following year, 2018, um, Anna Yorkin collaborated with writer Brian Whitney to write a book about her son. And the book was titled My Son, the Killer, the untold story of Luca Magnata and one lunatic, one ice pick. As reported by the National Post, despite everything, Anna Yorkin continues to proudly declare, quote, I am proud to be his mother. Weirdo. What the fuck? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You lost me at killing kittens. That is where I would draw the line. Mm. And honestly, that is such a stepping stone. That is like serial killer 101. They start out by harming animals. If they're hurting animals like that, that's your first sign that they're going to take it to the next level. Let's not forget that he cut up body parts too of a person and mailed them and he was a cannibal. Yeah, and he, he recorded the entire thing and posted it online. An entire video of the entire thing. It's insane. Um, in an impact statement read before the court after Luca was found guilty of murdering June Lin, June's father, Dairon Lin, called him, quote, his brave son, smart son, laughing son, caring son, adventurous son, handsome son, strong son, and popular son. And he said his son wanted to stay in Canada to start his own business, which was a dream that would never come to fruition. He said, quote, I live each day with regret that all I now see available here will never be his, that his name will only be associated with a horrible, degrading crime. It causes me fresh pain to know that my son's legacy is to, re is to be remembered as a victim. He not only suffered in his murder, but will be humiliated for each time his name is mentioned, and it hurts me deeply and will hurt me forever, end quote. So I guess my final thoughts on this case um, are that 
The fact that this heinous act was recorded and disseminated all over the internet added a layer of horror to the crime and kind of just marked a grim chapter in the evolution of crime in the digital age. And we saw that in our last episode um, that I posted last week, Bianca Devins, um, which we're going to talk about more um, in the coming months. But I feel like now with social media and just how easily accessible things are on the internet, you can you can find a lot and you can post a lot. And it's it's just made true crime that much more disturbing knowing that you can find images. You don't just have to use your imagination. It's scary to and, think about how easy it is to find. And there's been several people who have gone live committing crimes yes. like for entertainment, which yes. is again, like just so bizarre and messed up. I tried to Google it this last five minutes. I was Googling it, but I couldn't find anything. Do you know, did Luca Magnata get money from his, from Netflix for his documentary to his family? Oh, no. I'm sure they didn't. Um, I don't know about Anna, his mom. Um, but often when somebody is convicted of a crime like that, there are stipulations within their sentence that say they can't profit from any kind of book deals or movie deals or any subsequent kind of like media that would be created based off this story. So, I would imagine those same stipulations are in place for Luca. I can't say the same for his mother, though. I mean, she wrote that book. She's probably profiting off that book. Which is ridiculous. And then the second part, Mm -hmm. call me insensitive, but I think these bullshit dating sites for inmates, it's like that show you watch, Love After Lockup. (laughs) I don't watch it anymore. Trash TV. It's so scripted now. I can't even watch it. It's like somebody on the inside in prison is dating somebody on the outside and they're pen pals and in love and it's ridiculous. How low must your standards be that you are seeking a relationship from someone locked locked up? up? Forever. That you'll never meet. I don't know. It's crazy. I think a lot of people do it for like, it, it amazes me and I'll never be able to understand how women will fiend, I guess, over, um, serial killers behind bars. Like Ted Bundy was getting love letters and pictures of women. Scott Peterson gets love letters and pictures of women in the mail. Women sending pictures of themselves. Chris Watts, people are, the women were chasing after. Yes. It is so weird. It is weird and gross and weird. I can't think of these women. They're sitting around and they're going, I'm going to send this serial killer behind bars for X photos of me. Like, how bad must your daddy issues be for you to be searching for love in a prisoner? It's weird. In a locked up person who killed his wife and children or murdered many women, especially young women like Ted Bundy, or murdered his pregnant wife like Chris Watts or Scott Peterson. And you think of all the people who suffered because mm-hmm. of that, and you're turned on by that. Yeah. It's Girl, weird. you need help. You need more than help. Mama. <laughs> Mystery. Out. Bye. Bye.